Amen, amen. You can take your seats. Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. And also with you, I guess, right? Can't see you. Hey, if you're new here, I'm Pastor Jesse. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Part of our, our goal as a church is to be an empowered missional community. We want to help you implement your identity, to examine the word and see who God says you are, and then to be that. Doesn't that sound like a plan? We want to help you engage in your unique calling. All of us are part of a big mission, but we all have small missions in the mission, and then we want you to find what God's called you to do, and we want you to walk in that. Sound good? And then lastly, we want to help you to create community. Sometimes we come to church looking for community already in progress, and we want to jump right in, but it's actually a little bit more work than that. If you've been around the block, you know what I mean. Say amen. And so one of the ways we create community is by carving out time and opportunities and making new friends and being in new situations. And so this fall, we're going to do things a little differently than we've done historically. We are going to do something called Party of Seven. Somebody say Party of Seven. Party of Seven. Party of Seven. This is a series of four dinners that you are going to share with a total of seven people yourself included. We've done this before. Maybe you've been a part of something like this. We've heard it called uh, Dinners for Eight, which is fun too, but it makes all the single people feel left out. It's already hard enough to be single, isn't it? Can we give a little shout out to all our single folks? Say we love you. We want you to be at dinner. Come on, there's room for you. And we decided not to be Party of Five because there was a show called Party of Five. They already feel like a fifth wheel. Uh, the idea is seven, uh, but it can be a little less, a little more. But the goal is that you would sign up to have dinner with some folks you've never met before. So this is like friend blind dating. That's what we're doing here. And uh, I, want you to, I want you to overcome that internal impulse to go, that's not for me, and do it anyway. That's what I'm asking. So uh, we're going to do it. We're going to have some people to our, our home. We're going to enjoy some fellowship. We want you to be a part of it. You sign up now, and we'll, we'll kind of group everybody relationally, geographically. So sign up on the website. Say, I want to be a part of it. Take a step in creating community. You have to create a context for it. You actually have to go there, and then you have to talk and listen. It's going to be great. But as you do that, you will make friends. And if it's weird, it's only four times, and then you're done forever. I'll even give you permission not to make eye contact with them in Walmart. You're like, oh, that was my party of seven. Oh, no, 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 no. And we're going to keep doing this so you can try again and again and again until you found your people, and then you can, like, not do it anymore and just have a group with them or whatever. I don't care. But it's going to be fun. Uh, we all need a little kick in the pants from time to time. So party of seven coming up this September. Love for you to be a part. You can register on the website. Second thing I want to make you aware of is that the uh, Open Door Counseling Network, who's one of our mission partners, they are hosting uh, their first annual gala, September the 16th. And so this is a fundraising event. It's a, a big fun to do. If you've never been to a gala, they're called a gala on purpose. So you get all dressed up, and there's a nice meal, and you get to kibitz with people. There's a silent auction or a not-so-silent auction, so there'll be some, a chance to, to leave with some cool stuff. But the goal here is to raise funds for the operating costs of Open Doors Counseling Network. Open Doors Counseling Network, which consists of Port Orange Counseling Center, which I know a lot of you guys know, Daytona Beach uh, Counseling Center, Marriage Center. Um, we are partners, mission partners, and Tiffany and I sit on the board of this organization because we, we really believe that communities are stronger when people get the help they need. And so we want to see that done. We want it to be accessible, but Open Doors exists to make it affordable. And so they offer discounted and even pro bono counseling, which is not happening elsewhere. And so we get behind them financially every month, and we're looking to find uh, additional donors and partners 
who want to give generously so that this model can continue, so that our community has access to counseling and mental health care. And so you'll hear more about Open Doors if you hang out here at Christ Church. But I wanted to mention this because Tiffany and I have sponsored a table for this event, and Christ Church has sponsored a table for this event. And so I assume there's some of you who are also passionate about mental health and maybe have a background or a burden to be a part of something like this. And we want you to sit at the table. We want you to come to the event, hear about Open Doors from its founder and executive director. Um, I'll be there sharing. And, and then have an opportunity to support this ministry financially. So if that's something you're interested in, we want to make sure there's room for you. And we want to get tickets into your hands. So I'm mentioning this so you can let Missy know or you can email us at the office and let us know. And we want to make sure that you can be there uh, to, to partner with us as we're seeking to raise funds for next year. So that's happening. So check your calendar. If that's burning in your heart, please let us know. We, we would love to spend that evening with you and, uh, and get you helping out the counseling centers. All right, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. If you have your Bible, Proverbs chapter 22. We're in week four of sermon series from the Proverbs that should be about eight weeks. We'll see. And uh, we're going to be in one verse today. Isn't that exciting? We've been doing big kind of chunks. So we're going to do one verse, but don't worry, I have just as much to say. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. You'll know it when you get there. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a familiar proverb to you guys. One that parents of all generations have been hanging on to through the teenage years with their wayward children, keeping them up at night. And this is uh, an important one for us to, to look at this morning. Not only to understand this verse, what it means, but also how it plays into the larger theme of parenting that develops in the Proverbs. And some of the tricky parts about reading an ancient Hebrew text in English and then trying to do what it says. So we're going to get into a little bit of that um, and... I want to ask the Lord for his help because um, we need his help. We want to hear from him and not just from me. Can I get an amen? God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is inspired, comes right out of your heart, that it is preserved for us, that it is clear and authoritative, and it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray as we turn our attention to this Proverbs and other scriptures surrounding it, we evaluate what you have instructed us to do and how we raise and train our children. God, I pray that we would find your heart. Lord, that we would evaluate our practices. And Lord, that we would learn from you. God, thank you, Jesus. You invited us to come to you and learn from you. And so we're coming with, with open hearts and minds. We're eager to hear from you, God. Build us up. God, encourage us and speak to us, we pray. Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. A proverb, if you're new to this study, is just a, a short and pithy saying that encapsulates some universal truth or piece of advice. And so this is what we've been looking at, and the proverbs are filled with them, but they kind of start in chapter 10 and go to chapter 29, and the book of Proverbs starts off with these 10 appeals, uh, fatherly wisdom, my son, my son, my son, my son, and these four appeals from Lady Wisdom, who's kind of describing the way God made the world to work and how if you'll listen, you can hear wisdom calling out for you to give wisdom and, and, and knowledge to simple people. And this is great. If you feel simple at all, then this is for you. You can have insight into the deepest ways the universe has been fashioned and you can find the right way through the course of life. And that is a wonderful thing. 
as we consider the Proverbs. There's a lot of Proverbs that you know every week during the series so far. I've been keeping track of the Proverbs that I think of or say and then writing them down. I wasn't planning to have some for every ser- sermon, but so far during the time between sermons, some have come up. How about this one? Desperate times call for... You guys all know that one, right? Don't throw the baby out with the... Can we not get some Proverbs that, you know, incorporate indoor plumbing? Can we do that, you know? That one's been hanging on for a long time. Uh, but it, it's helpful to remind us of what is trash and what is valuable, right? And so all of these Proverbs have ways of, of uh, encapsulating this universal reality or piece of advice. I had this one with Evie. I was doing history with her summer school, trying to wrap things up. And I was telling, trying to convince her of the importance of history because she hates history. It's not her favorite subject. And I, I pulled out one of those old Proverbs, those who fail to recall history are doomed to what? Repeat it. Right. So we hang on to these Proverbs, and they serve us. And this one that we're looking at today is one of the short little pithy sayings, and it's one that we're very familiar with, but I wonder if it's not exactly what we think. One other one that has come to mind during this this study is, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. Now, some of you guys think that's actually from the Bible. It actually isn't. That is... uh, would be a bad rendering of a passage that we're going to look at this morning, chapter 13 and verse 24. But that particular proverb is taken out of a line from an 18th century poem called uh, Hudibras by Samuel, what's his name? Butler. I looked this up and found this out. Here's the line that this comes out of. If matrimony and hanging go by destiny, why not whipping too? What medicine else can cure the fits of lovers when they lose their wits? Love is a boy by poets styled, then spare the rod and spoil the child. You guys have any idea what that means? Me neither. I read it like eight times. I'm like, what in the world am I reading? Uh, it's, actually, it's actually innuendo is what that is. Uh, the author is taking like a lover's tryst and basically saying, um, if you get married, you might as well noose yourself. And if you want to keep the spark going, just got to give it a little tap, tap. It's actually kind of dirty. And that's where you've been using to... Uh, rear your children. That little dirty bird from an old poem. You had no idea. We just let it roll off the tongue like we know exactly what it means. You have no idea uh, what it means. Unfortunately, we do the same thing with Proverbs 22 in verse 6. Now, I want to be careful with this one because I know in a group this size that there's people, uh, parents, grandparents, who are holding on to this particular verse during a period of waywardness from a child, grandchild, somebody that you, you know they heard the word and you, they were raised in church or you did it the right way or you did the best you could and they've gone AWOL and there's a part of you that goes, well, I trained them up in the way they should go but when they're old, they're not going to depart from it and they're going to come back. And so we tend to hang a lot of hope on this verse and that's not a bad thing but I wonder if maybe we ought to hang that hope on a, on a better hanger, on a better hook. And as we look at Proverbs 22 and verse 6 and also at a few other Proverbs that talk about parenting, uh, I think we may need to have some of our assumptions, underlying assumptions, kind of loosened up a little bit. Now, I say this because the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of raising and discipling your children. You guys realize Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, this is God's, after he's given the law to the Israelites, listen to what he says. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So this is the most core important. You get to know God. There's one God. Not many gods. All those other gods, false gods. There's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. So get this dug down deep. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God is saying through Moses, this is really important. Make sure everybody knows it. Put it everywhere. Get this truth about God deep down in your heart and make sure your kids carry it as well. The New Testament speaks just as strongly. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so the scriptures are really clear about the call of parents to train their children. And we should take that very seriously. Can I get amen? But the Bible says very, very little about how practically to get that done. Did you know that? The Bible is not a parenting book. There are a lot of parenting books out there. And some of them quote the Bible. But the Bible is not a parenting book. But there's this thing that happens when we read the Proverbs. Is there's, there's a number of Proverbs that emerge about how to parent. And because there's so little amount of how to parent in the Bible, a lot of times we grab these, these, these Proverbs and we grab them and we read them and we implement them because they're really all we got. Now, I grew up, and I'm guessing most of us in this room grew up in Western thought and on the, on the foundation of fundamentalism where the scriptures were really held in high regard and there was an impulse to read the Bible literally. You guys ever had anybody say that to you? I'll just take it literally. I'll just, whatever it says. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Can I get a good amen, anybody? So it doesn't matter if you think that now or you used to think that or you heard people say that. This is the world we all live in. This is the, the water we're all swimming around in. And so there's this impulse to take the Bible literally. Now, people throughout history have done this. And that doesn't always go well. In the second century, one of the first theologians, Origen, uh, he listened to Jesus' teaching about lust, saying if, if your eye causes you to, to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And he was becoming a professor at a women's seminary, and so he castrated himself. I was taking the Bible very seriously and very literally. Do you realize this? Now, my parents were very zealous when they became Christians. They, they got saved in their 20s right after I was born. And they went hardcore, and they jumped into a church uh, group of people who took the Bible literally. And so when they read verses in the Proverbs, like Proverbs 13, 24, which kind of gets to that little proverb we reeled off our tongues earlier about spoiling a child. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So in my childhood, discipline was a synonym for spanking. Spanking. And uh, I know some of you guys, you grew up and, and mom and dad had that wooden spoon or, or some like, uh, there was a house a friend of mine bought and it had this, it looked like a cutting board. It was some kind of charcuterie board hanging on the wall. And it said, the board of education. I felt bad for the children <laughs> raised in that home. But my parents took this passage literally. Like my dad, my dad is like, he goes to the hardware store and he bought, he asked for a rod. He got a quarter inch doweling rod. And he bought like 20 of them. There was one on every doorpost, every, every molding, and every... My parents were never more than like 30 inches away from... 
And I tell you, I can, right now, like, I'm getting chills as we're talking. I can, I can hear the whir of that rod breaking through air on its way to my tuchus. I can tell you. I tell you what, man, my, uh, my parents were, they were obedient <laughs> to what they thought the word actually meant. But as I've grown and understood that the scriptures, while ought to be taken seriously, and ought to be taken literally, they're actually literature. Do you know this? And so if someone says they read the Bible literally, tell them they should read it literarily. Because not all of it is meant to be taken literally. Now, if you guys know anybody who's overly literal, Tiffany and I were watching a movie the other night uh, about a guy on the autism spectrum who was brilliant and figured out a way to decode uh, messages coming from the Nazis. And, but there was a scene where he's sitting there working and nobody liked him. He was kind of hard to be around. And uh, one of the guys says, hey, we're going to lunch. And he just sat there with his head down. Hey, we're going to lunch. Nothing. I guess you don't want to go to lunch. No, I want to go to lunch. Like, I just invited you to lunch. No, you didn't. You just said you were going. You know? Okay, well, we're going to get a sandwich. I don't like sandwiches. Okay, do you want to go to lunch? He said, can you bring me some soup? Just very literal. Just everything he said was very, very literal. It's very annoying for all the people working with him. And you're not supposed to read the Bible like that. You realize that, right? Because it is literature. And so when you're reading it, you have to read it in context and understand what the author is intending to communicate. And what you will find in the Bible is the rod is mentioned a lot. Sometimes the rod is literal. Sometimes the rod is figurative. Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Does God have a rod and a staff? No, it's figurative. He's saying God is like a shepherd, and he has the elements, the faculties to keep me safe and to lead me from one good place to another. And because of who he is and what he does, I am comforted. Do you see how this works? And so it's important that we read the scriptures to understand, is this a literal rod or is this a figurative rod? Now, sometimes in the passage it's figurative, and other times it's literal. Because in the Old Testament, you got paddled sometimes with a rod. But it wasn't like my dad's rod. That was a rod in English, and that was a rod at the Ace Hardware store. Some of you guys had the, the wooden spoon. Some of you guys had all kinds of different implements. I know I've seen desperate parents just searching for something to not use their hand. The group that I was a part of took this so rigorously and vigorously that there was even abuse. There was people that should not have been spanking children, spanking children. And they tried to eliminate the use of wooden spoons. And those people started making flexible rulers. And we all knew what those rulers were for. Nobody needs a ruler to work like that. Those things stung, I tell you what. So this morning I want us to consider what this little verse means and how it plays into the larger picture of parenting that emerges from a cursory reading of the proverbs in English and then ask ourselves a little bit about how we ought to be implementing them because the Bible's serious about parenting and there's very little to do's and if we grab those things over vigorously I think we can make some unhelpful mistakes so train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he's not depart he will not depart from it whoever spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is diligent to uh, discipline him first thing that I want to draw your attention to is the word child somebody say child when you say child in English, what level of child are you thinking? Something in here? Here? So there's different Hebrew words for child and children, but none of them are used in Proverbs. Did you know that? It's translated as child in English, but the one word that's used all throughout the Proverbs 
is uh, more aptly translated from chapter 1 and verse 4 as uh, the youths or the young man. So we see that in Proverbs 1-4, that the Proverbs are there to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Proverbs 7, verse 7, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. It's the same word. And yet the translators are considering this idea of discipline as something that should happen for young children. And so they substitute the word child there, immediately making the rod and young children rearing synonymous, when in fact uh, there's no evidence of that in the scriptures. There's some other passages as well where we have to ask, is this rod figurative or, figurative or literal? Proverbs 10, 13, on the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline, which we've already read, and then folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, the world I grew up in, that just meant spank your kids and they will behave. Now, the reality is, is that any of us who are trying to influence other people, we need a whole variety of tools in our toolbox. Uh, and this is good for, for guys. Let me give this to you. Um, if, if you need to buy a tool, and, I, and Tiffany, I've had this conversation. You just got to get the tool. You're allowed. I give you permission. I, we, we've had this conversation before. I'm like, babe, I need a wireless router. I got to have it. Got to have a cordless router. I need one. I can't do this without it. I need the seven-inch miter saw. I need the little one, and I need the big one, and I need the slide one. You just got to get all the tools. The problem is a lot of us, you're at home, and you got a little orange toolbox you got from the Home Depot, and inside of there is a screwdriver and a little hammer and a pair of pliers. And all you use in there is the duct tape and the WD-40. That's it. That's all you use. And you can't, you can't build a house with a toolbox like that. And I'm, I'm here to tell you as someone who's learned this by experience, you can't raise a child if the only tool in your toolbox is a wooden spoon. Now, I've, my parents did a great job in lots and lots of ways, but they were not afraid to use that spoon, and it was right near the top of the toolbox. Now, when you have seven children, you got to keep those kids in control. So I don't want to get fault. This is not a let Jesse talk bad about his parents. Uh, sometimes my dad is here, and so he would, be, you know, he would be laughing in this one. I tell you what, he would love this sermon. Uh, but but the, the idea that we should use a rod on small children is not something that you would come to a conclusion if you're a Hebrew reading ancient Near Eastern reader of the Proverbs. And in fact, I think when, all, when, when us, form, us foundational fundamentalists end up going to heaven and we meet some people who are from the ancient Near East, who read these in the original language, and they find out that we were using a dowling rod on our four-year-old, they may be like, that's weird. There's a guy up here you got to meet who was teaching at a girls' college. Uh, that's, that's how they're going to feel about it. Because this is not the conclusion that you would come to. The reality is, is that um, the rod was used on those stubborn, uh, stiff-necked, and difficult 12 to 25-year-old sons in the ancient Near East. And it was actually used. And in fact, if you read the Old Testament in the law, you go through Deuteronomy, there's actually a lot of passages that offer corporal punishment as a, as a proper response to um, a certain situation. And it's not just spanking. In fact, it's, it's kind of vicious, some of these passages. I want to show you one of them just to make this point. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 25. It should be on the screen. Deuteronomy 25. Verse 11, this, this is in the law. I don't know if you guys got to this in your read the Bible in a year yet. but <clears throat> When men fight with one another, 
and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him. And she puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts. Did you guys know that was in there? You shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall have no pity. You guys know, did you read that one before? You're having the same experience I had when I read it the first time. Right now I can see it on your face. I mean, the thoughts come to your brain. I mean, this is my thought process. I'm like, how frequently was this happening that we got to have a specific, I mean, of all the things that happen, who is training these women of how to break up a fight? You know what I'm saying? Like, isn't that the thought process? You're like, and then the second thing is like, um, cut off her hand? Like we're going straight for amputation on this? That seems a little severe. Does anybody feel like that's a little severe? Yeah, it is. Now, here's the thing. If you read all of Deuteronomy 25, what you'll find is that in the law, Moses, the lawgiver, is taking big concepts and he's applying them in very specific situations so that you can understand what they mean. And in fact, this is probably a hypothetical situation that never actually happened. The point is, here's an illustration of what's important. And the go- if you read 25, all of chapter 25, what you'll see is, don't act emotionally and irrationally. You need to step back from a situation, evaluate priorities and value, and then do the thing that's in keeping or commensurate with the situation. And you want to judge like that, don't you? Do you want a judge that gets easily entangled in some emotional thing and, and just makes the wrong call or acts rash? No, no, no. It needs to be calculated and dispassionate. And the reality is, is that a man's heredity is more important than a woman's hand. You, a woman can live the rest of her life without a hand, but if you, if you give a guy the snip snip, no more babies, no more lineage. You've just cut off a whole branch of humanity. And the point here is that do you see the value difference, okay? Now, I, I draw that out, not to preach Deuteronomy 25, which we could do at a later time, but to show you that there's some pretty severe corporal consequences listed in the scripture. Now, I don't know if this ever actually happened. If, I don't, I've, never, I've never heard of anybody going, well, we need to take the Bible literally, so come here, lady, with my cleaver out. I've never met, I've never been in a church and just there's a lady with one hand. She's like, I, I don't want to talk about it, you know? <laughs> this just doesn't happen. So we we kind of do this thing where we just pick and choose the things that we decide to grab a hold of, and no pun intended, and, and, and I wonder how much of our parenting in, ends up being arbitrary. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you, and, and I'll, I've said this to my parents. We've talked about it. Um, Tiffany and I have talked about this. The thing with spanking small children is that it's not a great tool for training them, but it is a great tool for maintaining control without having to work very hard. If the first thing you reach for is a stick, you will find children who will do whatever you tell them, but you're not likely to have their heart. I don't know how many times my parents would take all seven of us out in public, and people would say, you have the most well-behaved children I have ever seen. And inside, we're all going, that's because we're terrified. (laughs) Yes, sir. No, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay. In the line, in the car. Like, we just do everything. Why? that's why right I mean I can remember being a kid and 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 having this okay I'm waiting in line for my turn getting spanked I'm waiting psychological damage is happening right there okay and I'm calculating the risk of wearing an extra pair of denim just new two pairs of jeans just to soften the blow and there's a risk there because if mom doesn't notice I can fake the scream 
and this may go well for me. But if she does notice, both of those are coming all the way down. And I'm just trying to decide, you know, what's the best move here? See, the thing is, you can use a rod to control your children, but that's not the, the call from the scriptures. The call from the scriptures is to train your children. And in fact, the word there is dedicate, inaugurate. It's saying, listen, you need to think carefully about the trajectory you want this life to go because you are the one who is to set it. And then with all of the tools at your disposal, many as they are, fill your toolbox filled with tools. And in fact, I think Proverbs 22.6, if we read it correctly, actually gives us some insight into what some of those tools could be. Do you know that in, in the verse, all the English versions I could find have the word should in there. Do you see that? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Did you know that there's no imperative, there's no ought or should in the Hebrew at all? It's not in there. And if you go to some old Hebrew translations or into some other languages besides English, what you'll find is something like this. Uh, dedicate a child to his own way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And there's an interesting little Hebraic double entendre there. It's, it's actually a w wisdom and a warning depending on how you read it. You guys know that you can hear the same thing in two different ways, just with tone of voice, right? You know, you know tone of voice. Anybody married? You guys know tone of voice, right? <laughs> right? You can tell that she's asking that question, but that's not what she wants to know, you know? And the scripture's the same way. Dedicate a child to his own way. And this is a warning. This is saying, if you let the iPad raise your child, buckle up for high school. Do you understand? If you let the kid decide what they want to eat, what time they want to go to bed, and how they want to dress, and how they want to think, and for God's sake, what gender they are, we have to go there now in our culture, then the, chi the child will end up going whatever way they feel, and that is a course that leads to death. So that's a warning. We are parents. God has entrusted to us the care of our children. We are here to teach them right from wrong, good from evil, healthy from unhealthy. Do you understand? That's on us. That's the, that's the stewardship. And so we've got to do that. If you let them drive, beware of the outcome. Do you understand? But there's also the entendre is if you dedicate a child or you train up a child according to their own way, like their proclivities, their personality, their their tendencies, you can harness that for good. My oldest daughter, Evie, she thrives on feeling, feelings of pride, that we, that we pride and value her work. She is so easily motivated by that. My daughter, Meredith, does not give a rip what I think about her work. She just wants to snuggle. Do you understand? And so I have to parent them differently. I can walk up behind Meredith and I can just wrap my arms around her and she just starts purring like a kitten. She's glowing. It's just like adding value to her existence as a person. If I do that to Evie, she's like, <laughs> are you done? You know? She's like, I, I get it. You love me. Ugh. You know? Because they're all different. They're all different. And so you got to look to see how God has wired the child in front of you. And there's so many tools. There's so many tools. Now, here's, here's what I want to leave you with. Because I, I, I don't want to upset some people who are hanging on to the hope that because you did it the right way, even though they're going the wrong way, they're going to come back. And in fact, if that's the source of your hope, that's not very much hope at all. That's a lot of good reasons for you to stay up at night because it's not going to do anything for you. But here's the hope. When God wanted to make a people for himself, he showed us with crazy laws and a stiff-necked people that did everything wrong how faithful he is to his own word. And even when people screw up and do all the wrong things, he makes it right all by himself. And because of who he is, 
And because who he's revealed himself through his son Jesus, he has made a way to bring everybody home as beloved children of God. Do you know that? Now, listen, this is the good news. This is the good news. When Jesus came on the scene, he did not say, you ought to do all the things God said. I see some women around here with both hands. This is a problem. <laughs> it's not what he said. He said, you are anxious and worried about the things that godless people worry about. But you have a father in heaven. You understand? I'm here to tell you that there is a God who is fixated on you and your every need who loves you with a love that will never let go that will never stop that knows exactly how you're wired and what you need and is right there to walk with you every single day and that's the God that loves me and that's the God that loves you and that's the God that loves your wayward child or grandchild and so we put our hope and our prayers into the nature and character of God, not into some methodology that we hope we did right 30 years ago. No. Listen, I don't know if you were spanked or whipped or beat or ignored, but I know that God loves you and that he got in the way of punishment so that you could live your life in a covenant of mercy and a covenant of grace, only experiencing God's love towards you, never, never experiencing his punishment. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are made whole. Do you see? And so this is who God is. And so, yes, it's our job to train our children. It's our job to, with care and consideration, and maybe sometimes you need a stick. I don't know. I haven't completely closed the door on that one. But I got to say, knowing God as your father is 99% of it. When you wake up and say, all right, God, help me today. I need you today. I don't have the answers today. When you wake up and you find yourself under the flow of God's steadfast love and his mercy, and you're drenched in it, oh, man, it's going to make you a good dad that day. And we need him every single day. And so you want to show love to your children. You want to get their heart. You, let, you want them to know they can trust you and that if you say it, you mean it, and that you want what's best for them. Love them like God loves you. Care for him the way God cares for you. You don't need a stick for that. I'm telling you, you're, our children, they do not care how much we know until they know how much we care. And so let's fix ourselves under the, the ongoing steady flow of God's love for us every single day. And let's be conduits of it. And as we walk with the Lord and we understand his word in all of its various parts, and as we take time to take apart things that don't make any sense or seem to be odd or, or violent or wrong, and we get the point, oh, we get, to know, we get to know the Lord better. And this is who our kids need us to be. This is who our grandkids need us to be. And this is the only way we're going to be able to raise these children to handle the leadership that this world needs in the next generation. Amen? You might be here and uh, you don't have a, a relationship with God at all. Maybe it's passages like the one that I read that make you think, this whole God thing, I don't know. This seems crazy to me. Listen, there's, there's questions all of us have, but I guarantee you the God that you will meet in this book, whose culminating expression is the person of Jesus, every word from his mouth, every action of his life, he's the most compelling person you will ever encounter, and he will change your heart, and he will give you a hope and a future, and he wants to give you eternal life and make you a part of something bigger and longer than anything you could pursue in this world. And I just want to plead with you. 
don't give up on God because of some hang-up, because your parents or your grandparents swatted you or smacked you too many times and they said it was because God told them to. Whatever the world's lies are, whatever the hurt and the pain, I'm telling you there is a God who loves you and wants to have you for himself. And any movement you make in his direction is the right movement. And so, God, I pray for every person in my hearing, on site, online, listening at any time. God, I just pray that you would overwhelm them by your spirit with your love and your nearness and your power to save. God, we all have questions, and I thank you that we can find good answers to them. But, Lord, we need you. We need you. And because of Jesus, we have you. And so I pray, Lord, that, that we would find in you everything that we need to raise these kids, to raise these grandkids, to make amends with uh, our adult children and grandchildren, to, to put things back together. God, you're the God who puts it back together. And so we look to you, and, and we ask for everything we need, knowing that you are our Father in heaven. And in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Our prayer teams will be here if you have any need of prayer. I know we're running a little late, but uh, don't leave. If you need someone to pray for you, they'd be honored to do it. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.